Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, The Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ihya'ul Umiddin, The Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Qur'an, hadith of the Prophet wasallam, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At Roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Okay, salam alaikum. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. How's everybody? Alhamdulillah. Welcome home. It's good to see everybody back. Alhamdulillah. Sorry about last week. Um, it's actually a really funny story. So we were watching the weather all day. And um, being from Chicago, I have a lot of people from Chicago who uh, I'm friends with on social media. And so whenever I say in Dallas that we're canceling due to rain, they all laugh at me. And they make fun of us. Us. Okay. And uh, subhanAllah. So, you know, obviously we announced the cancellation. And we, uh, you know, let people know early so people could adjust their plans. And then I think like around 6 p.m. it was like sunny, the birds were chirping, the squirrels were jumping around. But then subhanAllah, like right at 6.50, like or like 7, it just started coming down like crazy in this area. I don't know where everyone lives, but in this area in particular, I was near campus, it started coming down like in sheets, like people's backyards were flooding and stuff. And really the, the idea was I didn't want people driving home in that. That was the thing. Like maybe getting here is possible, but going home especially because Texas drivers are notoriously, you know, in the very uh, skilled at not having skills. So I just didn't want to put anyone at risk. And so if you ever see a cancellation due to weather and you feel confident to make it out, uh, then you are more than welcome to come uh, and, you know, hang out at the space. Uh, but I don't want to put people at risk, inshallah, especially when you have a lot of people. So I don't want this to be uh, a risk that people take. So it's better to be safe than sorry, inshallah. So we paused our session uh, but we're going to continue today, and we're going over the second category that the Imam has laid out about um, with regards to how to become a good friend. So we talked about the first category. The first category was what again? Degrees. Hmm? Degrees, of Degrees of friendship. But what was the first? What was the first category? Huh? Yeah, like not being a person who's stingy when it comes to. Sharing or when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, letting people use things that are yours. Okay, so there's one element. And this is a more passive element. That's why it's number one. It's like the first stage. If somebody comes to you and asks you to borrow something, how do you respond? How do you respond internally? Right? Do you say yes with your tongue, but then your heart is all like upset and irritated? And then even when they do you know, use your item, right? Do you feel upset about it? And when they bring it back, when they return it to you, do you nitpick? You know, oh, this is this, this is that. So Imam al-Ghazali went through the entire process and said, basically, when you are lending something to somebody, when you are giving something to somebody, how you do that, the way in which you do that, it dictates a lot about you. And it lets you know a lot about you. And there are some moments in life where people are going to be better off not borrowing stuff from each other if the person that they're borrowing from can't do it with grace, can't do it with beauty and ihsan. So the first category of becoming a better friend is not attaching yourself to the material dunya more than each other, not being a person that attaches more than one another and trying to be a person that doesn't uh, uh, overplay their attachment to things, even when someone maybe scuffs or scratches something, Maybe it's brand new. See how you respond. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult, but we can become better at this, inshallah. Okay, the second uh, category, Imam al-Ghazali says, he says, uh, is helping or giving personal aid to somebody, qada al-hajat, uh, he says, to fulfill somebody's needs and to give them attention and to give them the attention they need without waiting to be asked, without waiting to be asked, okay? So it's a second, it's a level up now. 
first level is just being available, being present. Now it's about are you good at taking care of one another and how long do you make the person wait until you try to be there for them, okay? So he says the second duty here is to render personal aid in the satisfaction of needs, attending to them without waiting to be asked and giving priority over your own private needs to somebody else. And he says here as well, that there are also levels of this. So he says the lowest degree and the lowest level is when a person is asked, when somebody asks you for something, hey, do you mind if I can do this? Or do you mind if you can help me with this? Then you only give when you have what? It's similar to the first one, huh? Extra. Extra. Very good. It's similar to the first category. So when someone's in need and they ask, we only provide that need, we only fulfill that need when we have extra, when we have surplus. So this might sound like what? What might this sound like in the real world? Hey, I need your help. Do you mind helping me out? What, is, what might this sound like in the real world? Right? If I have time. If I have time. Let me, let, me, uh, let me get back to you. And again, this is a reality for a lot of relationships. Like some people in some relationships, it's not going to qualify to the level of like, let me drop everything I have right now. But he's saying for people that are close, for true brothers and true sisters, ask yourself this question. Am I the kind of person that always subjects people to the filter of my calendar? Right? Now, for strangers or for people that you barely know or for people that are more casual acquaintances, it might be normal. Normal. But what about like for your friends? Do your friends make you send them like uh, invite emails, like calendar emails, like accept or decline, right, for Boba this Thursday? Let me know if you can make it, right? Do they make you, uh, uh, you know, give a, a percentage of attendance? Like what kind of, rea- you know, some people, subhanAllah, like they get so busy in their own personal lives that when it comes to their family, when it comes to those that are like their blood, They'll say things like, let me schedule in a phone call with my mom. Like, let me see if I can fit my mom in between 8 and 8.30. As opposed to making time, regardless, regardless of the busyness, trying to make time for the people that matter the most. So this is what he's talking about. The lowest degree of this is that a person only takes care of somebody when they have excess. Okay? And he says that they do that with joy and cheerfulness. That's the lowest level, that you show them that you're happy. Okay, there's a story that a scholar tells, his name is Ibn Shubruma, and he says that uh, he fulfilled, he fulfilled the need of somebody else. He took care of somebody's need, all right? So he saw somebody was struggling, and he went and he took care of their need. The next day, فَجَاهُ hadiyatin. His friend came back, and he had what with him? He had a gift. So his friend came back, and he had a gift with him. And he said, قَالَ Mahada, What's all this about? What's this? And his friend responded and said, don't you remember yesterday you helped me? You took care of, like you saw me. I had a flat tire. You came, you picked me up, and you got me to the tire shop, and you went and you helped me tow my car, and you made everything, or you helped me change it, like put on the spare, whatever. Like you took care of it. Or you saw me and I was there and I had no lunch, and I forgot whatever to pack my lunch or something, and you decided to quickly go out and grab something, and we shared. Like you took care of my need. So he said, I brought you a gift as a way to thank you. Ibn Shubruma, he responds and he says to him, خُذْ مَالَكْ Allah." He says, take it back, take your money back, man. And he says, may Allah bless you. He says, this isn't what I did it for. You're misreading my intention. This isn't a business relationship. This is a friendship. And then he tells his friend something very powerful. He says, if you ever ask me for help, if you ever come to me and ask me for help, and I'm not able to do it, and you asked me again and again and again, he said, make four takbirat over me and pray salat al janazah. Like, I may as well be dead. Right? He says, takbirat. If you ever ask me for help, as your brother, somebody who says that we're homies, and you ask me and I just completely ignore you, and then you ask me again and again, and at the end of it all, I'm not there for you, he says, go ahead and pray salat al janazah on our relationship. What is he saying here? Why is he saying this? It sounds, you know, he's Arab, so you have to excuse the hyperbole. You know, Arabs are very exaggerative people sometimes. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying this? If we're friends and you ask me for help, and I don't even, I ignore completely, and I never respond, then just go ahead and pray Janaz on our relationship. What is he saying? 
Okay, maybe he'd rather, maybe, it's a little bit uh, dramatic, mashallah, but he'd rather die. Could be, right? Some people, in some ways, would rather not, you know, uh, uh, would rather not engage in a, in a friendship if they can't be there. Okay, what else? Yeah. Exactly. He's saying that this relationship is as good as dead, right? Because dead things don't respond, right? When something is dead, you guys ever try to plant something? After a while, water's not going to save it. I'm sorry. After a while, sunlight won't fix it. You know, you can do whatever you want. If it's dead, it's dead. The reality is that dead things don't respond when they are stimulated. So a friendship, part of the stimuli of friendship is what? Brotherhood is what? Hey, I need help. Brotherhood is not only there in times of convenience. Sisterhood is not only there when things are convenient. Some people that we have, we call them in English, what? Fair weather friends. Some people only hang around. They're only present when times are what? Good. But what about the people who are around when we need something? What about those people who are around when they recognize that you're not there? Maybe the crew is hanging out and somebody's not there. There's a person who's not there. Which one of us is the one to pick up our phone and text and say, hey, are you okay? I noticed that we're all here and usually you come out. Like, is everything all right? And maybe they'll respond with something that's like, you know, yeah, yeah, I just got busy or whatever. And you can sort of leave it at that. But maybe that text message or that phone call is, is really uncovering something super serious. Maybe it's something that's really, really important for that person and you were the only person to take note of it, right? So friendship, the reality of friendship is that and true brotherhood and sisterhood is that it responds to this stimulus. It responds to the stimulus. But interesting thing is that Ibn Shabruma, he mentioned that you have to ask sometimes a couple times. Meaning that the nature of human beings is what? You ask the first time and somebody forgets. Anyone here ever forgotten something? Like calling somebody or checking on somebody? You guys ever forgotten? Anyone here ever been forgotten before? How did it feel to be forgotten? Yeah, you were like, I hate this person. Right? You were just so upset. Well, in his story, he's not setting unrealistic expectations. He says that if you keep trying, keep trying, right? Because why? The reality is, man... Everybody has their own schedules and routines that they're trying to navigate. And as much as they want to be there, sometimes it's very challenging. It's very difficult for people. So we have to be people at the same side that we need to make sure we're there for people when we're asking for help or when we're seeking assistance. We can't go and tell somebody, hey, Ibn Shabruma said that our relationship is dead. Right? You bring a kefan, like a white sheet. You're like, let me wrap this relationship up and bury you six feet deep. Okay? All right. Uh, So... Um, another person, subhanAllah, Jafar ibn Muhammad, he said something very powerful. He said that, I try to come to inni la tasari'u ila qada'i hawa'ij adai. He says, I am so concerned about like missing the needs of my friends. This guy's a very observant guy. That's really one of the keys, by the way, to how to master this. How observant are you? A narcissist can't be this person. A person that's self-absorbed can't be this person. Someone who's too busy looking at their own reflection can't notice that somebody else isn't smiling, right? So he says, I am so, I've trained my heart and my eyes not to be nosy, that's different. Not to be the person that's looking into other people's lives, that's different. Not stalking, no. He says, I've trained my heart to try to not be so self-concerned that when I walk into a room, if I say, Salaam alaikum to Mu'az, and Mu'az responds with a walikum salam that's different than normal. You know what I mean? You guys ever met up with somebody and it's just something's off? Something's not the same. He says, I've trained my heart to be so aware of that. Because the selfish person just moves on. That he says, I've become even observant of my enemies. So there's a person that just talks all this crap about you. All they do is talk smack about you. Right? You've seen the screenshots. Okay? You've seen the evidence. Okay? And you see them at a gathering. You see them, subhanAllah. And they're normally the person that you walk by and you say, Salaamu Alaikum. Right? And they're, and they're like, how are you? You're like, I'm going to go get food. Right? <laughs> or whatever. He said, listen to this, I've become so aware of people in my life that even my enemies, I start to become aware of their needs. I start to become aware of their needs. Like even somebody that I know hates me or doesn't like me, they've talked poorly about me, when I notice something off of them, I figure it out. And he says that... I work hard and I take care of them. I actually rush. 
I take care of their needs so that maybe in life when they stop hating me, when, they, when all the beef is, is gone, that they won't continue their life and they won't leave me out. Right? This is very beautiful, subhanAllah. He's saying essentially a couple things here. Number one is that if you're good at observing the needs of people, it's not going to be contingent upon your relationship with them necessarily. Number two is that even if someone has enmity with you right now, that enmity might disappear. Okay? You guys ever had a relationship that went from straight hate to straight love? It's like super awkward for a moment, but you like... Some people are looking at their friends right now. <laughs> Did roots solve problems? SubhanAllah, right? Okay? Look at the Prophet This is why some of the companions, Ali radiallahu an, he is narrated to have said, don't love too much and don't hate too much. Because if you love too much, you're basically going to be unconditionally attached to this person. And if they start doing things that are wrong, you're going to make excuses, right? You loved too much. And he says, don't hate too much. Because if you hate too much, that person that you hate might actually come back and they might become someone that qualifies for your love. Like they might become a really cool person. And because you hate too much, you're not giving them that chance. Okay? So this is what Jafar Muhammad is saying. Rahimahullah. He's saying that even my enemies, I became so good at noticing. Even my haters, I became so good at noticing their uh, uh, needs and who they were that when I saw that things were off, I would take care of their needs for them just so that when they became better people, when we became good with each other, they wouldn't move on with their life without me, okay? Now, one of the things in particular, subhanAllah, has anyone here ever lost a loved one before? Grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a child, right? It's one of the greatest challenges. You know, I'll never forget, subhanAllah, I spoke to a brother who lost his son. And he said, I'm not suicidal. I don't want to take my life. But he says, I... And he felt guilty saying this, but he looked at me and he said, I'm sort of looking forward to the day that I die. He said, because I've heard from the khutbahs and the hadith and that when I pass, I'll be able to be with my loved ones again. And he goes, my son, his son was in his 20s. And he goes, I loved my son. I love my son. And he goes, even though I know that I'm here and I have family, I have this and this, he goes, part of me is actually looking forward to the day that I pass. You know, this is from the life of the Prophet as well when uh, the Prophet ﷺ was passing away and his daughter, beloved daughter Fatima came to his side, she was crying and she was weeping and she leaned forward and the Prophet ﷺ was seen whispering something into her ear and she went from weeping to laughing. Her emotion changed completely, it flipped completely. Later on they asked her, they said, Ya Fatima, they said, what is it that he said to you that changed your emotion so quickly? Like what was it? And she said, subhanAllah, that my father told me, sallallahu alayhi wa that don't be sad, you will be one of the first people to join me. And the thought of passing away brought happiness to her. And subhanAllah, after her father passed, Fatima radiallahu anha, it was written about in the books of history, that she basically was never the same. She essentially stayed in her house, she didn't do much, and she passed very shortly later, just actually a few months actually she passed away, subhanAllah from her love of her father. So the feeling that this man is having, the feeling that he has, is not something that is haram, right? It's something that's natural, it's human. Why am I saying this? Because part of the responsibility of a good friend is that when you've been there and you've seen your friend lose somebody, you've seen your friend lose someone they loved, the number one question that's racing through your mind, through your heart is what? What can I? What can I do? What can I say? And sometimes we end up saying the wrong things. I'll never forget, man, subhanAllah, when one of my friend's mothers passed away, he said that, man, the Muslim ummah is so bad at condolences. He's like, we're just not good at it. You know what people would say to him? They'd walk up to him, and he's like, I know that they meant well. I know that they meant well. But sometimes when someone's mom just passed away the day before, you don't go up and say to them, you're going to be okay. Right? It's okay. It's a, those phrases are phrases coming from nervousness, like unsure what to say. But subhanAllah, look at what Imam al-Ghazali says. Imam al-Ghazali, he says that the true friend, when they are witnessing the grief of their brother or sister, for anything that they've lost, he said that the Muslim in the early days, amongst the companions and those who followed, they would go and seek out their friend and the family of their friend. So their friend is the one who passed away. Imagine like my friend passed away. I would go and find their family, their siblings, their parents, etc. And he says for up to 40 years after the death of their friend, 
they would go and attend to their needs. They would take care of what they needed. They would basically adopt them. They would say, you're with me now. Now, does this solve the loss? No, it doesn't. And he says that. He says this. He goes, they would provide for them. They would make sure that they took care of them. They would ask them, do you have oil? Do you have salt? Do you have, do you have water? Do you have milk? What do you need? And they would take care of all of their groceries and their bills, right? And this is, subhanAllah, one thing that I will say the community is beautiful at. It's something the Muslims have really internalized. You guys have ever seen like the meal trains that go around? When somebody passes or somebody has a major, major crisis, people, subhanAllah, you try to get on a meal train, it's like, it's like buying tickets for a, a, a game. If you don't get on early enough, you're not on that meal train, right? And people are getting food from people they've never met before. This is the beauty of the Prophet Sallallahu Ummah. That we love each other and we'll take care of each other even if we don't know each other. And this is the line that he says. He says, they do this so that the only thing that is being missed from the life of those who are grieving is the person themselves. Because you know why this is smart? In real life you learn that when somebody passes away, one of the most painful parts of their passing is that the world keeps going is that everything keeps moving. The bank still wants their mortgage. Their phone bill still wants to be paid, right? Their electricity, the electricity company doesn't say, okay, we'll give you free electricity for a while. Nobody stops. And I've heard, subhanAllah, people tell me this exact line. And when I read this, I circled it. I said, subhanAllah, Imam Ghazali a thousand years ago is talking about this. This one auntie told me that when her husband died, the worst pain ever was having to pay his bills. Because every month it was a reminder that he's gone. And I thought to myself, what if we came together and we took care, friends came together and took care of each other, so that just that moment of pain, that bitterness that someone's experiencing, taking care, writing a check for this or for that, they wouldn't have to taste that bitterness. They wouldn't have to taste that sourness. So he said a Muslim in the early days would maintain the wife and children or the family of their friend for up to 40 years after their death, attending to their needs, visiting them frequently, checking in on them, not just at, after the janazah, but checking in on them to make sure that they are okay. It's one of the beautiful examples the Prophet ﷺ had. Aisatullah one day he saw a woman who came and he would send gifts to her family, he would sit with her and talk to her, he would say salam to her, etc. And the companions asked, Ya Rasulullah, who is this person? He says, this is the family of Khadija. This is the family and the friends of my, my wife, Khadija. And he would go out of his way. If he ever got gifts, he would send some to her family because he always thought about her. So Imam Ghazali says, this is how friendship is shown. If a person does not take care of their friend in a way that they would expect of themselves, then he says their relationship is surely not as good as they thought. Okay? So then Imam Ghazali continues and he says that um, tradition tells us, the hadith tells us, that whenever any one of us visits our friends, there's a special statement, something really remarkable happens. Have any of you guys ever visited a friend who was sick? Yes? How many of us just stop with the text message? Hey, you okay? What are the symptoms? Can you taste? Can you smell? All right? You guys ever visited a friend who's sick? Okay. What was it like? What was it like to visit your friend who was sick? You, interesting, very good. You make their day. How? Yeah, very good. They're just sitting there, they're in pain. No one's really like checking out on them, right? And you show up and you just, it's how, how long is the visit? 15, 20 minutes tops, right? In fact, that's the, the sunnah is to keep it short. Like don't make yourself, don't overstay your welcome. Like, hey, I brought some food, you want to eat? You know, no, you don't want to eat? Okay, I'll eat. And then you just eat everything in front of them while they're throwing up. <laughs> don't do that. The sunnah of the Prophet says is make it short. Make it short. And you know what's crazy? Like in our era of like hyper-efficiency, we're like, okay, do I have any errands I have to run? Can I add this on to my trip? Can I do this or that? But like the drive there is 20 minutes, spending 10 minutes there and then the drive back, you're like, that's an hour, right? And then you start negotiating these things in secular terms. SubhanAllah, for the one who doesn't do this, they miss out on this beautiful, this beautiful du'a. The hadith tells us that when a brother or a sister goes to visit their friend, whether that friend is in need or whether that friend is ill or whatever it might be, 
when they arrive at the doorstep of the house of their friend, there's an angel sitting right on top of that door. And the angel looks down and sees the person and they have like a, like a clipboard, like a slate. And they're writing the names of all the visitors. And they write down your name and they say, you, you have done well. Look at you, subhanAllah. The angel is praising you. The angel is talking you up. You know, this is the equivalent of your friends with the fire emoji. They are hyping you up. They're giving you props. And then they say, you have done well here. And just like this, you're going to be walking through the gates of Jannah. <laughs> just like you walk through your friend's door, the angel says, I know, I can see you, I can already... Basically, in your future, there's good, there's good news. You're going to be walking through the gates of paradise. For that one thing. For that one thing. Now it seems so nonsensical to wonder like, oh, is it worth my time? Would you do it if you knew Jannah was there? Would you knew it, right? Would you do it? Of course you would. Now, don't walk through now and be like, all right, I did it, I got to leave. I already got what I came here for, right? Obviously, there's a process. Obviously, there's etiquette. But Imam al-Ghazali includes this. Why? Because he says that this is one of the things that when people don't have close friendships, when they start to base their friendships off what can you do for me? Because a sick person can't host you. A sick person's in bed. They can't get up. They can't do anything. They're not going to be able to get you anything, right? So when you go to someone's house and they can't get you something, what's in it for you? In the secular world, nothing. But in the divine world, the angel is saying, welcome to Jannah. Just like you walked here, you're going to be walking through the gates of Jannah. So then he quotes a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. There are three things, there are three occasions that you should uh, see your brothers and sisters for. Three things. You ready? Number one, if they are sick, then you visit them. If anyone is sick, then visit them. Now, I know one thing we like to do in these days is we like to send dinner, right? If somebody's sick, what do we do? We grub hub to their house. We pay the $42 for the, you know, salmon entree, because they eat to be holy, mashallah. And we get them their steamed broccoli, and we say, I hope you enjoyed your dinner, right? That is good, but it doesn't qualify for this. You see, we got to stop being so 21st century about some of these things. If they say visit the sick, it doesn't mean FaceTime the sick, right? It doesn't mean Grubhub or DoorDash them. That's good. You're still getting good deeds but it doesn't beat getting in your car and going to their house. It's not the same, right? And if they're contagious, that was one thing about, subhanAllah, the pre-vaccinated pandemic era that was so remarkable. We became, we were forced to not see each other, and so people, because we're, humans are creatures of rebellion, we would figure out the most creative ways to see one another. How many of you hung out 25 feet apart? How many of you sat in a park and you were like, it's so good to see you, right? <laughs> Screaming at each other like, like, you know, like you were angry, but really you were just so happy, right? This shows the value, subhanAllah, if, if that era, I mean, if it, if it taught us a novel's worth of, of good virtues, if that era taught us one thing, it was the value of see, seeing each other and visiting one another, right? And this is something, again, that although it's not specific to the ummah, it is an ethic that our Messenger ﷺ taught us. It's something that he taught us to watch out for each other. So number one is when they're sick. Number two... This is another one. If they're busy. A lot of times we reach out to people and we say, hey, what's going on? And they respond by saying what? <sighs> Life is so busy, man. Life is so busy. I, I just can't find time. And then we say what? What is our response? Sucks. <laughs> Tough, you know? You'll get through it. That's crazy. That's crazy. As you switch apps to TikTok. That's crazy. And then they say, yeah. And then you just thumbs up their yeah. And that's it. We're so emotionally like complex, man. Thank you, Omar. That's crazy. Okay? Nailed it, dude. You know what he said? The hadith. If they're busy, he said what? Go and help them. Go and help them. Go and try to relieve the difficulty that's taking up their time. As much as you can. Go over and say, what can I do to help, right? And subhanAllah, this seems kind of strange, but when you witness how it happens, when you see the kind of people, I have a friend in my life who he does this with all of his friends. That as soon as you say like, man, life is just, that's really tough, man. You know, the kids are this or whatever, work is this. He will go out of his way to make sure that he does something. I remember one time he scheduled, he scheduled a maid service to come clean his friend's house because his friend... 
uh, uh, he said that, you know, my kids are sick, everyone's sick, and we're just, the house is a mess. So the next day, Molly Maid showed up. She said, I'm here to clean. And the sick friend was like, what? And it was the homie. And he said, I got you. You said you were crazy busy, I got you. At least you'll be crazy busy in a clean house. Right? That's one thing that, again, we can show how we can improve. That's what you do. You take care of that. When you're close with somebody, you don't just watch them suffer, man. You don't just watch the person in misery. That's crazy. You don't do that. Right? You're with them in that. You're with them in that. Right? Okay? The third thing he said is that if they have forgotten, then remind them. And this is talking about their deen. This is talking about their deen. SubhanAllah. The, the hadith the Prophet are so complex but so simple. There are three things that are weighing this person down. Number one is their sickness. Number two is their busyness. And the third thing is the Prophet said, you never want to see your friends fall away from Allah. You never want to see your friends fall away from Allah. Remember Shaykh Mikhail's class? He talked about, I'm sure, I listened to most of it, as long as my kids were letting me, right? Because my wife was here. SubhanAllah, the, the friend that looks down from Jannah and they see their friend in hellfire. And there's a conversation that happens. Did he go over this ayah? The friend, there's a group of people and they say, hey, don't you remember that one guy that we used to hang out with? That one girl that used to be part of the crew? Where is she? Where is he? Has anyone seen them? And everyone else gets quiet. So then this person who's in Jannah takes it upon themselves to go and find this person. And they go to the edges and the depths of Jannah and they go and, and they go approach towards Jahannam and Allah allows them to see and they see their friend in hellfire. And that conversation is so stunning, subhanAllah. They look at their friend and they say, you almost took me with you. Like, you almost took me with you. Like, I was there with you. And you almost took me. You didn't help me. You didn't call upon me. You didn't do this, right? So, subhanAllah, the hadith of the Prophet is saying what? If you are truly close to somebody, you should be able to have that conversation. Right? Now, it's, it's, it takes a lot of etiquette. It takes a lot of delicacy. It takes a lot of class to be able to go to someone with love and to let them know that you're worried about them. Right? Number one rule, not over text message. Right? Everyone's like, hey, uh, you don't pray anymore. What's going on? <laughs> that conversation doesn't happen over text message. Right? That conversation happens. You know how you work it? You work that conversation in by taking them out for dinner, by getting them food, by spending time with them. You basically take your friend out on a date. And then at the end, everyone's like, stuck for a lot. No, it's a, I said friend of the same gender. Relax, everybody, okay? Even that's problematic these days. Okay, so you just, you just, you know what I mean, okay? And you go and you sit with them and then after, and you know what? Maybe that moment is not the right time. Like you might get a read and you're like, this is not advice worthy time right now. This is not the time where I can tell them that this is something they have to work on. So you know what, let me... I'll back off. And you say, next time. And then the following week you meet up. You text them, hey, I had a really good time. wonder if we could do it again, right? And then you go meet them again. And then you, and once you see that opening, maybe they open up to you. That's when you try to help them. And you remind them when they've forgotten. And you don't tell them, like, you're the worst and I'm the best. Let me help you. You say, this is something, you're, you're so amazing. This is just probably one thing you forgot about. But I'm just letting you know. But I forgot, you know, you already know this, Right? Even if they don't know it, you're like, you already know this. Because you want to lighten the, lighten the weight of nasiha upon the person. Lighten the weight of nasiha upon them. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us like this. So he says, if you are a good friend, if you're someone that cares, then you make sure you take care of people when they are sick, when they are busy, and also if they have forgotten, then you are there to remind them. Okay? One time, Abdullah bin Omar was sitting in a gathering, and this just shows you how they were thinking of each other. And he was sitting next to the Prophet, Aishat and everybody else was there, and he was there. And people noticed him, he was looking to his right and to his left like this. He was like looking around like that. And someone asked him, what are you doing? And he goes, I usually have two friends that are here with me and they're not here today. And he got up and he left. And he went to go find them and bring them back. That's how concerned he was. Now, a gathering, a sitting with the Prophet is like as VIP as you can get. To get up and to go and to, to, to step away, even for a few moments, just to go find someone, shows you the level of prioritization he had of taking care of his friends, right? I just recently was on a phone call with somebody the other day, and this person is a professional, they make a lot of money, they have family, blah, 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 everything, every metric for success. But you know what they were complaining to me about? Wallahi, with tears. 
they were saying, I feel like my friends don't care for me. I feel like they don't, when they're somewhere, they don't think of me. When they make plans, they don't remember me, right? Like I see it on Instagram. I see that they go out and I'm not there. And I see how much fun they're having. And usually I'm also with them. Like what happened? Why, why did you forget? It? Look at Abdullah bin Omar 1400 years ago, teaching us what it means to be a good friend. That you could be in the presence of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And you're still wondering like where they, where they are. And you get up momentarily to go find them because the last thing you want for your true friends is that you get to experience something and they're not with you. That's the last thing you would want, right? It's the same as what Omar just said when we say that's crazy. Like sometimes we'll reach out to people and we'll tell them all about the great times that we had and we'll forget the fact that we didn't tell them to come with us. There's a little bit of salt to that wound that we need to be more aware about. Right? Now, some moments you can't invite them, right? If you're like, I'm going on vacation for two weeks, Hawaii, spending thousands of dollars, your friend's like, why'd you forget me? Right? You're like, well, pay for it and you know, we'll see, right? You know? But the reality is some things, it's, it's beyond expectation, reasonable expectation, right? But you know what I'll tell you, my advice to you? You don't have to share every great highlight from your moment with people who aren't there. You don't have to. Some things are best kept to yourself. Because even those people that consider themselves close to you, there is there's a vulnerable spot in everyone's heart that can be made to feel left out if they weren't included in something. And so we need to be better as friends, all of us, of being a little more self-aware. Can I give you an example of this? Some of us have tastes that are a little bit more expensive in things. For example, you want to go get some coffee, and some breakfast, and you want to go to a certain place, and that coffee is like $10, right? Eight bucks, tip, $10. Coffee's crazy these days, man, right? We don't need to make every single social opportunity centered around something that costs money. Because without realizing it, we might be asking people who are not in a financial situation to spend that money. We might be putting burden on them just to be our friends. Hey, you want to hang out? Yeah. Okay, we're going out to dinner. Where? Carbone. <laughs> Who doesn't want $60 spaghetti? Just because Drake said it in a song once, right? Who doesn't want that? Man, subhanAllah, sometimes it's a little bit burdensome, right? Hey, you want to hang out? Yeah. Where are we going? Well, we're all going on a road trip. Airbnb. What's it cost? Well, it said $100 a night, but with all the fees, it's $3,000 for the whole trip. <laughs> we're going for two days. Maybe, like, maybe the trip doesn't need to be to Oklahoma, right? Maybe you can just drive around Dallas for two hours and go back to your house and hang out for free. Now, I'm not being like cheap. I'm not trying to be stingy. But what I'm saying is when we try to be social, we don't have to set barriers to entry in our life, like obstacles, right? Think, the Prophet ﷺ, he taught his companions that when you have like a social agreement, if anyone else comes in, I'll tell you a story. This isn't money related, but it shows you their mindset. Umar he had an agreement with certain people for tahajjud. They had an agreement. And you know what their agreement was? When it's us praying tahajjud together, we're going to go long. Like each raka'ah is going to take like an hour. Like we're going to go long, okay? And they had an agreement. It was like five or six guys, companions of the Prophet They shook hands on it. Okay, we're going to pray and all of us are in agreement, right? Nobody has to leave. Nobody doesn't want to do this, right? Yeah, we all want to do it. Okay. Umar was leading one time and he raised his hands to make takbir, and as he raised his hands, he heard the footsteps of somebody walking in the masjid. Somebody. Now, the group that he agreed upon was there. Like, the people that were all part of this agreement, they were already there. So it couldn't have been them. So it had to have been somebody else. A newcomer. Someone who didn't know. That poor soul. (laughs) Has no idea what he just stepped into. And Omar at that moment made an instant audible. You know what audible is? Made a change in decision. And he went ahead and he just recited surahs from the 30th juz, kept it short, instead of praying for two hours, prayed for three minutes, and finished. He turned around, and the few companions that had the agreement, they looked at him, they're like, what was that all about? I thought we were here to get like deep in the Quran. And he pointed and he said, that guy wasn't with us when we agreed. That guy wasn't with us when we agreed. It would have been wrong to subject that person to our personal agreement, right? So when we're making plans to socialize, make sure that we don't gatekeep based on money. 
based on, 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 on financial ability. That's something that is very short-sighted. And the Prophet ﷺ, he never had one kind of economic status friend. He didn't just keep around the rich people. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca was mocked and ridiculed. Why? They said, you're only friends with poor people. You're only friends with the needy. They're the only ones you talk to, right? So if we look around and my social calendar is going from this boutique restaurant, this tasting menu, this, that, this, that, and everything is averaging out to being this much money, then I have to ask myself, maybe I'm not friends with not everybody because of something beyond the fact that I was just paying for it. And maybe there's people that I'm leaving out because of this. This is, again, this is how a Muslim thinks. This is how a believer thinks, okay? Um, so Abdullah bin Omar was somebody who made sure to always keep his friends uh, uh, in mind. Okay? Um, now, Sa'id ibn al-As, he said that there are three requirements that you have for every person uh, that you hang out with. Okay? Number one is that when they come to you, you're the first one to go greet them. The Prophet said what? That the better of the two people when they see each other is the one who begins with salam. So when you're sitting and someone you know walks in, you don't just look and then look down and say, I'll wait till they get to me. No, you get up and you rush over to them and say, Salaam alaikum. It's good to see you. How are you? You make sure that you check on. Because the Prophet ﷺ is saying, whoever has the humility, because it takes humility to do that, whoever has humility to get up and go and embrace this person, right? The better of the two is the one who gets up and starts with salam. Okay? That's why you'll see sometimes, especially with like some of the Arab Ammus at these like Azuma and parties and stuff, they'll like get up and say, alaikum, like they'll seven yell. Completely not practical or functional, but they're trying to become the better. Right? And then everyone responds, subhanAllah. This is also when they walk in the masjid, they're like, Salaamu alaikum here, wa alaikum salam. Everybody mumbles it back. I don't know if I'm that's necessarily the application of this, but the point being is, he said, number one, when you see them, don't be that person that is like, they can come to me. Alright? I'll follow them once they follow me. Okay? Follow them first. <laughs> the second, he says, is that when they arrive, so as they arrive to the area that we're sitting, first is I go get them. The next is now I brought them to where I, were, now I, now I, brought them to where I am sitting. What should you do? I have here some chai that somebody gave me. I have some dates that somebody gave me. What do I do? They sit and I'm like, Did you bring any snacks? No? Oh, that's unfortunate. I have snacks, right? This is like a childish behavior. This is childish behavior. Today I took my daughter out for ice cream, and we're sitting there, and I take a spoon, and while she's not looking, I take a little bit of ice cream. It wasn't on purpose, it just happened. She was looking away. I'm just naturally slick. And so I took a little bite, and she looked at me, and she goes, ah! She goes, ah! And I go, Nuni! And she looks at me, I go, can I have some? She goes, I guess. Right? Because I already had it on the spoon, right? Like, what are you going to do at that point, right? Now, she's three, man. Some of us were like 30 and we act like this. You know what I mean? Some of us were like 30 and we act like this. We go to someone's house and there's like two kebabs left and we're like, what are you eating? You, you put those kebabs on that person's plate. You take it and put it on their plate. Some of the most beautiful, subhanAllah, some of the most beautiful conduct I've ever witnessed has been around food with beautiful character. I mean, subhanAllah, the Prophet taught us, man. You know, one of the etiquettes of when you're sharing a plate is no one goes for the middle. Everyone takes from the side. You know why? Because the side has more space than the middle. If everyone's reaching for the middle, you're at the center of that circle, there's like, what, three inches of diameter to work with? But if everyone's just working from the edge, he said, because the barakah descends in the middle, right? But one of the things the scholars said is that what does barakah mean? Barakah here means more people. Because there's more circumference. If you eat around the circumference of the plate, I know I'm going back on ge geometry with you guys. If you go back to the circumference of the plate, more people can sit with you. But if you only eat from the center, you've limited the number of people now. Now it's three people, but if you go to the outside, you got maybe ten. So he said that the best way to share a plate of food is from everyone to eat from the edge. Why? Because more people can join you. So number one is be the first to greet them. Number two is that when you welcome them, this jar of dates... I know after this halakha, I know exactly what's going to happen, by the way. This jar of dates just went from being yours to being ours. Okay? This drink just went from, you know, being mine. If I didn't take a sip yet, guess whose it is? It's yours. I'll go get more. You have it. You have it. You have it, right? 
And I'm sure you guys have seen this, yes or no? You've seen just that beautiful hospitality. Imam al-Ghazali is highlighting what makes, part of what makes us Muslim, man. Part of what makes us Muslim. I'll never forget, subhanAllah, when I used to work at college, work, you know why, what the job was? I used to sit at the dorm and scan people in. Okay, and it was like right in the middle of the class time, so I would get paid for nothing. Man, subhanAllah, what an amazing time. Call that barakah and risk. Um, so I used to sit there and work, and there would be two of us. They would hire two of us because scanning cards is very difficult. Uh, and so it was some sort of regula- regula- uh, regulation that we had to be there. And I would sit there, and I remember, subhanAllah, that with the Muslim coworkers that I had, because, you know, Muslims hook each other up. So a Muslim guy got me the job, and I got a non-Muslim guy the job. We all take care of each other. The MSA is where, it, where, it, where it's at. We would share food together. So, you know, Shahriyar would have baratas, and then you'd have, like, Abbas would have, like, couscous, and then I would have, you know, I don't know, like, SpaghettiOs, and we would just share. <laughs> we would just divvy up, and we would share. And it was, it was normal. And wallahi, till this day, you know, I teach upstairs at the seminary, when the instructors come, Mufti Kamani, etc., like, it's almost, it's, it's like an unspoken rule, like, whatever we bring, we're just sharing it together. We put it in the middle, and we take a little bit, and we eat, okay? But when I worked with people that didn't share my faith, that were from different faith traditions, I noticed that there was a lot more of like a, this is mine, this is yours, you eat yours, I'll eat mine. And again, okay, hygiene, whatever, you might want to, you know, this this is all pre-pandemic. No one cared. We were opening doors with our teeth. Like, no one cared (laughs) about anything, right? The reality is, there is something that our faith teaches us about what? That the Prophet said what in the hadith? If there's enough for two, there's enough for three. If there's enough for three, there's enough for? This is a religious teaching. This is not... This is not from your parents' culture. This is from the, the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ. If there's enough food for two, there's enough for three. How true is that statement? How true is that statement? If there's enough for three, there's enough for four. You guys have all been at gatherings where you thought that there was not enough, and subhanAllah, everyone ate. That's the barakah of what? When a believer wants to feed their brother or sister more than themselves. All of a sudden, everything becomes enough. Okay? So the Prophet ﷺ here teaches us that you bring them over, okay, or Sa'id ibn al-As, he says you greet them, you bring them over, you share whatever you got. Don't start counting how many pieces are on the plate. Don't start measuring, don't start drawing lines in your head. Okay, if I get this much and they get this much, right? Do the opposite, start pushing everything over to them. Start pushing everything over to them, and then they'll push it back to you, and it's going to be like a game of pong, right, back and forth, okay? And then he said the third thing, here's three things, I want you guys to remember this. Number one is you have to greet them first. Number two is make them welcome. And number three is I make sure that wherever they sit, they are more comfortable than me. So you know what that is? The chair, the cushion, the good chair, right? Everyone's house has a good chair. You know what I mean? The chair with the barakah in it. You give them that, okay? So Imam Ghazali finishes with this. You ready? This is the last line. This is very powerful stuff. He says, these words that Sa'id ibn As is, is, is saying point to true compassion in the heart of a believer. You can't be truly compassionate as a person unless you want to do these things. Because, he says, complete compassion is not to partake in delicious food or the joy of happy moments alone. He says what it means to be a true believer with true compassion is that you're not as satisfied eating the most delicious meal you ever had if you're by yourself. Or you're not satisfied having the best experience of your life if you're by yourself. But rather, he says, the brother or sister's absence in that moment is too heavy to enjoy the food. The absence is too heavy for a person to enjoy that moment. You could be sitting in the most amazing space ever, in the most amazing place ever, but you wish that someone was there to enjoy it with you. Is that not right? Is that not, isn't that the case? This is from our religion, subhanAllah. So Imam al-Ghazali says that when you call yourself a friend of somebody else, make sure that you go out of your way to take care of the needs that they have. Don't make them come to you and ask if you can notice it, if you can observe it. Right? If you see someone looking at you and you're standing by the water and they're like, you know, like chapping their lips, like dry, thirsty. Don't be like, you know, stare at them awkwardly, 
right? Be the person, can I get you some water? They're like, thank you, right? Maybe they're a little bit embarrassed. Maybe they don't, you know, just, can I get you some water? Even better is don't ask. Just grab a bottle and say, open it and say, this is for you, right? Don't make them have to go the extra step, right? What the Prophet is teaching us through all these narrations, that it should be the person themselves that goes the extra step and takes care of this. Now, let me ask you honestly a question as I finish. I know that I read a lot today and we covered a lot. Can I tell you guys something? Does anyone here disagree that if we practice on this, our relationships will get better? Does anyone here think this is not true? Did anyone hear something tonight that they heard that they don't agree that this is a way to become a better friend? This stuff matters so much. Man, when I was on the phone with that person who was talking about how lonely he was and how much he didn't feel like his friends called and like hung out with him, wallahi, I, I didn't know what to say. I was so dumbstruck. And I thought to myself that this class that we chose, this book that we chose, was so opportune. Was such Allah just put it in our laps. And maybe as a result of this, if we can pick up these characteristics, people in our lives will be less lonely. They'll be less sad. We have so much, but everyone is still looking around saying, why do I feel this way? We ask Allah Ta'ala to warm our hearts. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us the reason why other people are warm. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that always are inclusive and never exclusive. And that we never let ourselves get to our own arrogance, that we think that we are better, but that we always include people, that we enjoy food with people, that we enjoy the company of others, and that we make sure that we bring happiness to others. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, one of the greatest deeds that a believer can do, Ahabul Amadi illallah, is to enter their brother or sister into a state of happiness. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us able to do that great deed, to make our brother or sister happy. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. Okay, inshallah, we'll wrap up here because I know Isha's in a few minutes. Uh, the next next week, okay, by the way, I'm really disappointed that nobody came in costumes tonight. I'm joking. I'm not disappointed at all. Okay? the uh, uh, I came as a Turkish baker. Uh, the next, next week, next session, it's a really important session. If you're going to skip all the rest, you're like, this book isn't for me, this, this guy is weird, whatever, that's fine. The next one is about the responsibility we have with our tongues. The things that we say. It's really heavy. I'm telling you right now, it is a very heavy chapter. It is probably going to be the chapter that is the most heavy in the book. But it is the one that I would say, myself, first and foremost, all of us, the one that we need the most. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us tawfiq. So I hope to see you guys Monday, inshaAllah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.